Get about the curveball, Ricky. Give him a heater. Welcome to the Heater Podcast. I'm Dan Lewig. He's Corey Peeper. As we come back to you in the first of the off-season editions, uh, as we break down the uh, World Series uh, recap, overall impressions, a couple of uh, key things that happened in Game 6 that we'll talk about, uh, as well as uh, teams' chances to return uh, to that uh, fall classic. Uh, we'll break down manager movement as we uh, have a blast from the past uh, coming back into uh, a very interesting situation. We'll talk about Tony LaRusse's La return to Major League Baseball managing, uh, some of the different searches that are going on. We're going to talk uh, about the COVID crunch uh, of how much that's going to impact based upon uh, uh, Commissioner Manfred's uh, comments of how many billions have been lost uh, in revenue uh, in the past uh, few months. Uh, different teams that are bracing for uh, the pinch, uh, a fire sale looming in Cleveland, uh, and uh, a frozen free agent market, as Jeff Passan from uh, ESPN is, is reporting. Uh, finally, we'll talk about some of those options that have been declined for next year and qualifying offers uh, as of today. Uh, this was the last day to get those offers out, uh, as free agency has technically begun though you won't be seeing uh, or feeling any bits of that uh, for at least a, a, a while here. Uh, so that's what we have coming up for you here uh, this week. I should also uh, do a teaser uh, for Teasers. next week already as we start looking at the offseason. Next week we'll present our all-free agency team. Uh, we'll look at who's actually going to spend uh, or most likely to spend in this free agent uh, frigid market as well as for especially a lot of the folks that are uh, in our neck of the woods, uh, we'll break down the Milwaukee Brewers offseason. Uh, what are the building blocks? What are the pieces they need? Uh, what does free agency hold to fit some of those pieces, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So that's what's coming up next week. As always, the Heater Podcast is brought to you by River Creek Popcorn. For all of your snacking needs for baseball games and movies of choice, even in the offseason, if, uh, if you know a guy, <laughs> you might be able to get a hookup. Did you, uh, did you finish it? Did you get it done before the end of the, end of the World Series? I did not get it done before Ooh. the end of the World Series, uh, but I also shared the love with my in-laws. That's okay. Uh, so we've... Uh, I know the, I know the in-law mom, at least, loves it, so I don't know about her a- dad. Absolutely. So that keeps... Uh, and. and and for both, for, uh, for both <laughs> baseball games for him and movies, uh, that is now his snacking uh, choice uh, like as it. well. So uh, I'm glad to hear it's spreading. I'm, I'm increasing it one person at a time. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, overall, uh, you know, as we, uh, it's been an interesting weekend uh, for uh, a few different things as uh, sports fans, uh, uh, Star Wars fans, uh, we had <laughs> the uh, Mandalorian season two uh, come out yes. here. And John Connery died. Yeah, James a, Bond fans, that's a that's a downer. Yeah, that's a downer. Sean Connery, uh, so universally a, beloved. A hat tip to uh, uh, one of the best actors of all time. Oh yeah, man. Uh, and his own distinct uh, Scottish flair. Uh, so I wouldn't even. I can't even attempt to do that voice because it's so cool. It's. Uh, I would butcher it. I would butcher it. Belief, it would not be. So it would I'm not, not be worth it. That. Uh, yeah. Uh, I want you, everyone to stay tuned into what's coming up here, <laughs> and I don't want you running away <laughs> screaming. Uh, but uh, to a tag, Livio. 
Tagavailoa. There we go. Uh, we got his first uh, uh, NFL win uh, today as well as a Dolphins fan. I'm very happy about that. It's an Alabama fan. I'm very happy so, about that he's in there yeah. finally. We, we have different uh, uh, allegiances, come, but uh, same uh, uh, goals. So. That's right. But let's take a look at, uh, before we get started, and all these other uh, big uh, parts as we look at baseball, as we wrap up uh, the close of, of one season, a very unique season, uh, had the chance to be even more unique if there would have been one more game. We'll talk about that. Uh, and then start looking at the, the season ahead already. But uh, let's break down some news and notes uh, to get us started here. Well, the big news is uh, we both said that we thought the designated hitter was here to stay. I think everybody thought that if there was one rule that was going to stick, it was the DH is here to stay. There hasn't been an injury as far as the pitcher being going to the mound or going to bat, I should say. And nope, as MLB is prone to do they make some questionable decisions sometimes and so the report is that as of next year you can plan the designated hitter to be in the american league and the pitchers will bat again this is part of uh the labor issues that are involved with major league baseball uh there was no agreement on following through with this because it would have taken some they wanted some give and take on both sides from the players association too and ultimately what was decided is we left this as a, a covid uh contingencies and now we're going to put everything back to quote-unquote normal uh, for next year so that means as of now uh, no DH in the National League and like you said that the big labor negotiations are coming we we dealt with these back in May just because of COVID but the big one comes after next season and the DH the pitch clock some of those types of rule changes those are big bargaining chips and that is going to be again interesting I I think a lot of this is going to be pushed to the 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 final hour, uh, because in light of in light of COVID and in light of not being able to uh, guarantee revenue streams, uh, still no guarantee that there will be fans in the stands by next spring. Uh, it makes for a lot of uncertainty and a lot of uh, millions of dollars of uncertainty. That's going to be a ripple effect on anyone who's caught up in the middle right now without a contract, uh, as well as uh, negotiating the slices of the pie of the revenue pie. Uh, for each side. Uh, so it's going to be, I, I think, I hope anyways, that we have very little labor strife to deal with before this next year. Uh, Me too. And, uh, and, but just with the big stuff looming, the big cloud looming uh, after one more season. So I don't know. Sean Foreman is the man who makes and owns, I believe, is president of Baseball Reference. He had an interesting statement that the most interesting rule change for MLB I've heard so far proposed is that a team can have a DH as long as their starting pitcher is in the game. That is a talk of something possibly going on. So if you take your starting pitcher out of the game, you no longer get to utilize the DH. Then the, then you have to pinch hit for the DH. So who knows? It's kind of the, as usual, as we saw this year, MLB throws things at the wall sometimes and we go from there. We've heard pitch counts going to be up. We've heard shifting possibly being banned. So it's just another thing to consider. Manfred hates it, but I don't see how you can regulate it uh, as far as the shifting is concerned. Mm-hmm. Uh, he absolutely hates it, but that's a tool in the, any manager's uh, toolbox, and ultimately... It keeps uh, offense you, down. If, he doesn't like that. Yeah. He, he wants uh, more more runs on, on the table uh, versus, again, I still go to the way that this works throughout the history of Major League Baseball is if you don't like what someone is doing, counter. Uh, and uh, some players do that well. You're seeing more well-rounded hitters who are hitting it to all all fields, all parts of the park, 
Uh, and you're not seeing many many shifts. For example, DJ LeMahieu. Now again, here's an extreme example of someone who has one of the best batting eyes in all of baseball, uh, but he's the least shifted uh, player uh, batter against uh, because he hits it uh, everywhere. And uh, so there's there's nowhere to uh, shift to that's going to change anything. Uh, but even in a even if you don't have his batting eye, even if you're not at that level, you can change the way uh, pitchers. Uh, pitch to you, uh, and and I honestly think that would be better uh, because right now all you have is the three outcome hitters right now. That's becoming even more uh, of a thing, and that's because you have those that are going to be uh, hitting it hard in one direction. You know, you're going to be hitting it to the, the shortest uh, short swing mm-hmm. uh, for that part of it, uh, and that creates uh, uh, a hole in your swing the size of Texas. Uh, batting averages are down. Versus if you start to hit the other way, batting averages go up. You actually see a, a better aesthetically pleasing game yep. uh, versus this swing and miss and home run. Uh, so if Manfred actually wants uh, the game to be better from an offensive standpoint, then get out of the way of the shift <laughs> and allow teams to counter and get batters back to that type. We'll see what he does. You never you never quite know where uh, Manfred stands this he has unique ideas for the future of the game. So I never thought I would despise someone more than Bud Selig. Seriously, you're in Wisconsin here, man. So that's don't say it around my dad because like that's where he sold Milwaukee and didn't spend money. So it's he's a very disliked man around here. But I, I agree, Rob Manfred has done nothing good for the game that I so enjoy here. Uh, let's talk about some awards that got out. Daniel Bard, you mentioned Daniel Bard on like one of our very first podcasts, yes. I think that we did here. And Daniel Bard uh, came back and won Comeback Player of the Year. So he's been out of baseball for was it three, four years already? And I think it's close to six. Six it years, was a I guess, long a while. Time and uh, came back and closed games for the Rockies. Ended up being the closer for the Rockies, and that earned him Comeback Player of the Year. Well deserved, I believe. He now becomes a. I'm not mistaken. He's a free agent, so that could make for an interesting offseason for him. Yeah, he is uh, I mean, such a uh, such a unique history uh, with him. I'm trying to pull up his his career numbers. Uh, he hadn't pitched since 2009. Nine. If I am seeing this correctly, I want to go back. Uh, I'm going to 2013. 2013. He Thank pitched you. for Boston. So we're at seven years. So I was yeah, that's seven years. And so and he came had free back agent at 35. Came back, saved six games. The Rockies were competitive for a while, but it's 365 year and like you said, yeah, now he's a free agent at the age of 35. After a year like that, teams want bullpen help, right? So you'd expect him either go back with Colorado or find a new team. My guess is always, especially with someone who comes back from such a unique setting and circumstance, stay where you're comfortable. Why, why would you go somewhere else? Uh, Colorado needs all the pitching help they can get. Seems to be that there would be something that could be worked out there. Well, so we're on the issue of relief pitchers here. Yeah. We're talking relievers. Let's talk some ones that were unbelievably good this year. Uh, baseball, I think it was after game two. I'm not really sure. But announced their reliever of the year awards. The American League went to Liam Hendricks, who was also a free agent this year and will be able to break the bank. We'll talk about him, I'm sure, on our free agent list teams next week. Uh, he won the AL Reliever of the Year Award. He was the closer for the very, very good Oakland Athletics. And Devin Williams got Reliever of the Year in the National League, even though he wasn't even a closer. I don't actually – I'd have to check, but I don't think he saved a single game for the Brewers this year. But as we've mentioned before, he has the most devastating changeup right now in the game probably and was barely hittable at times. You mean there's something more valuable than saves as <laughs> for a reliever? I, 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 yeah. 
<laughs> get guys out. It doesn't matter if it's the seventh inning, the eighth inning, the ninth inning. Just make sure you get guys out. I'm I'm glad Devin Williams got it as opposed to very deserving. Yeah, extremely deserving. I, I said I, his ERA was I believe under one half. Yeah, point three was his ERA this year. So if you're pitching to a point three ERA, okay. even if you don't have a save, you better be earning that award. And earn it, he did. Earn it, he did. Uh, and so those are our. Those are the relievers of the year. We also have Gold Glove finalists. The Gold Glove Awards are going to be announced on Tuesday night. I don't know if it's probably on MLB Network, I would guess. So this Tuesday night on MLB Network. Uh, I'll just give you the three finalists for each position. You give me one that you think is going to win it. Ready here? Okay. American League pitchers. There's three of them. Griffin Canig, Kenty Maeda, and Zach Plesak. I'll go with Maeda. That's the one I would have guessed, too. The The surprise there is that Zach Ranke wasn't nominated. It would have been his seventh consecutive, which would have tied a record. So it's not seeing Zach Ranke nominated is interesting, but I would have also said Kenta Maeda. A catcher, you have Yasmani Grandal and James McCann. So two White Sox catchers, Yasmani Grandal, James McCann, and Roberto Perez. That's just fascinating from a McCann was known for offense but not defense. Uh, so that makes him also an intriguing free agent. Yep, he's a free agent uh, with too. that with the defensive uh, upgrades. But we'll go with uh, uh, with the respect for what's been there, Grandal. Yep, I think that's it's going to be the pitch framing. All three of those guys led the AL in defensive runs saved, so they made the right choices. I, I think it'll probably be Ismani Grandal, just because, like you said, he's done it before. At first, we have Yuli Gurriel of the Astros, Matt Olson of the A's, and Evan White of the Mariners. So the AL West represent. Yeah, everyone over there. Evan White was a uh, uh, young young kid coming up, known for especially defensive acumen, needed the bat to come through. I don't think he gets it yet. This is usually given to someone who's uh, a little more veteran experience. And Matt Olson has the last two, so it'd be three in a row there. So that, that's who I'll say. I'll go with uh, Griel. Really Griel? Yeah. That's, I mean, the Astros need some good stuff going for him, right? <laughs> second base, I don't know why, but there's four candidates at second base. I'm not sure why that is, but uh, Cesar Hernandez at the Indians, Nicky Lopez of the Royals, Danny Mendick of the White Sox, and Jonathan Scope of the Tigers. So this time, AL Central represent, because that's all AL Central teams. Uh, that's an interesting <laughs> one. I'll go with, with Scope, but uh, I think you could have, make a pick for any of them. At scope uh, led baseball and outs above average, it says, so that makes a lot of sense. We'll see there. At third, we have Isaiah Kainafalefa, Yoan Moncada, and Gio Urshela. Matt Chapman got hurt, otherwise, he's almost a shoe yeah, in. That would have been a lock yeah. there. Odd. You know, there's a couple you could do that. I could see Moncada as he's continuing to rise, uh, rise up, but uh, yeah, I'm actually going to stay there. That, that's where I'm, I think he he's, came up as a shortstop then he moved to second now he's at third and he can still pick it really well it'll be interesting to see Urshela could be an interesting one there too but I, I would just say pick young one Makata at shortstop you have Carlos Correa JP Crawford and Nico Goodrum we'll go with Correa now he has got the biggest star power he, he that's is the there. biggest name he's a massive arm that's what you when I watch him play it's the huge cannon of an arm almost brought Houston back too yes he did <laughs> Uh, left field, you have Alex Gordon as a sort of a going away present because we already mentioned he retired, so he's earned a couple before. Lord is Gurriel Jr. and Kyle Tucker. That's an, again, another interesting group. Uh, I could see that as a retirement thing with, with Gordon, but uh, uh, I'll go with Gurriel Jr. Yeah, he's very quick. I, I think they'll maybe like a lifetime achievement award type of thing for Alex Gordon, but I, I'm not saying he deserves it. Here's the interesting one to me because – Okay, well, I'll just mention the guys. Center field, you have Byron Buxton, Ramon Laureano, and Luis Robert. Superstars. 
that's going to be the, the the big pick. But you have guys that have uh, missed some time in there too, right? Uh, Buxton missed some time. Yes, always. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's why uh, uh, Kevin Kiermeyer was not on that list, uh, and I think injuries were were part of it, but uh, just not given the same defensive uh, uh, respect. He had a couple of early season blunders that probably took him out of it right away. Uh, I mean, Buxton is hands down the most talented in that regard. Uh, I, I don't think Robert gets the credit yet, uh, so that leaves the uh, the third option. Ramon Laureano. Yeah, yep. yeah, he's been great. I, I think it'll be Buxton. That's my pick, but after we get done with this one, we'll ask, I'll ask the question. So right field, you have Clint Frazier, the Yankees, who I've sprouted on much I like all the time. Uh, Joey Gallo and Anthony Santander, this year's come-out-of-nowhere superstar. I'm going to go with Gallo uh, on, on that one. Uh, I, I think that uh, uh, Frazier uh, – he didn't play enough, he in my play opinion. Enough. I, I just don't see how you could give that to someone, no matter how, how good he's been. Uh, and uh, Santander, uh, the out-of-nowhere guy, too. he got hurt. Uh, I think Gallo takes this. I think it could be. So you're a Rays fan. The world just watched the Tampa Bay Rays play some ridiculous defense for the last two series, and not one finalist? Yeah, I, I think there's, there's a few different things for it. I, I think... G-Man Choi uh, deserves some love at first base, but he's a platoon guy, so he doesn't play against I both. I think that's so the that same thing with Joey you. Wendell, right? Uh, and uh, also, when also Joey Wendell moves around to a few different positions. Brandon Lau dealt with some injuries and also can be uh, only, uh, a guy versus right-handed uh, pitching. Willie Adamas probably is the, the most deserving on that group that didn't get uh, a finalist. I mean, yes, Kevin Kiermeyer. Uh, would be the the other obvious one, but to me, Willie Adamas, his defensive uh, growth uh, has been enjoyable to see. His offense still needs to come around, which he was known as a bat first shortstop when he was coming up as a prospect. Uh, so it shows you how those things can change. But anyone who watched, he was Jeter esque in some of those deep I said, uh, some of those dives. plays in the you you got to everybody got to see him on national TV the last couple of weeks, and wow, was it impressive sometimes on those left field hits. He would be the one that feels to be the most slighted from the uh, the Tampa Bay uh, defensive perspective. Uh, he's got to he's got to keep it up too because he's got to hold that job next year somehow. We'll see. Uh, National League Here's options. Some, some uh, wandering guy. Co- answer a couple of them actually. Yeah. He's one of them. Uh, National League options. We got Max Freed of the Braves, Kyle Hendricks of the Cubs, and Alec Mills of the Cubs at pitcher. Uh, Freed. Max Free, that's yeah, he's excellent at defense. He I believe he led baseball in defensive runs save for a pitcher. He's that's my pick too. Although Kyle Hendricks is really good just because of the way that he pitches. He, yep, yep. He's kind of with the soft contact that he plays, he has to feel a lot of his own stuff. So he's he's very good too, but I think Max Freed. Uh catcher, Tucker Barnhart with the Reds, Wilson Contreras with the Cubs, and Jacob Stallings. Here's a Pirates positive. They have a Pirate nominated. Oh, we we even giving you an offseason oh, Pirates right. positive. And How he's about nominated. that? Uh I'm going to go with, uh, and this is also another one of those crazy ones to see, Wilson Contreras. He was someone who last year was a liability defensively. They moved him to uh, the outfield. Moved him to the <laughs> outfield to try to get him at least his bat in there. Uh, DH when there was uh, uh, a spot f- uh, for that to keep the bat uh, in the lineup. Uh, that one, uh, his pitch framing has come up immensely. Mm-hmm. He has worked on that part of his craft. His offense was a, a little uh, a little sluggish off kilter this year, but it was for a lot of people, so I'm not going to say anything about that. But defensively, uh, just for the improvement standpoint, Contreras. Uh, he's certainly deserving. I think it'll be Tucker Barnhart. He's won it, I think he won it in 2016 or 17. 
And once again, this is an award. It's strange to not see Yadier Molina nominated. Obviously, he's been nominated so many times, but he's getting a little older. And while I still think he'll be in the Hall of Fame someday, uh, right now, maybe not quite this defensive catcher he once was, which is fine. It happens to the best of us. Uh, first base, you have Brandon Belt of the Giants, Paul Goldschmidt of the Cardinals, and Anthony Rizzo of the Cubs. Cubs representing on this list. Absolutely. Uh, Brandon Belt has come back healthy. Uh, and he has won it before, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I think they all have. So sure all three I'm, of these guys I'm have. going with uh, with Belt. I was going to go with Goldschmidt, but I wouldn't be surprised if any of them won this one. Second base, Adam Frazier, Pirates. Nico Horner, another Cub. And Colton Wong, Cardinals. Free agent. Drawing a lot of interest early on Colton Wong. Uh, Wong has been one of the better two-way players. Uh, Players at, at second base. He's the defending gold glove winner, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Pretty sure he uh, won it last year. I'm going to say he he keeps the the award. That would be the one I'd pick. Third base here. This might be the most interesting one because you have Brian Anderson. Which congratulations for joining Brian Anderson. You've been very good. But now here's the two superstars. You have Nolan Arenado, who's won so many of them, and Manny Machado now moves over to third. I'm going to go with Machado. He was uh, excellent. And uh, I I think there's Arenado. Didn't he miss some games? Maybe not. Hurt. He played through yeah. injury. I don't know if he was missed actually until the very end of the year. I think he missed like a week, but he did not. He was not his normal self this year. I think there's going to be some Padre love here. I'll stick to Norman Arenado um, just because of past experience, but I could absolutely see Machado winning that one. I said Brian Anderson probably had a fine year. I don't know, but I'm sure it wasn't in contention with those two superstars of the game. Shortstop, you have Javier Baez, who makes all of the fancy plays and everybody loves to watch. Uh, Miguel Rojas of the Marlins quietly had a very nice year, and Dansby Swanson, the young up-and-comer, first former first pick overall. I think the former first pick uh, gets his uh, first one. That'd be that'd be great. I I think it's biased just because people like the flashy stuff. I'm surprised Sh- uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. is not on there actually. Left field, you have Shogo Akiyama, who is a platoon player for the Reds. Tyler O'Neill, who's kind of a platoonish player for the Cardinals, actually. And then you have the reigning gold glove winner in David Peralta, and I will say David Peralta. Likewise. Yeah. Platoon players, it's hard. Center field. Now, here's an interesting one. You have the young superstar, Ronald Acuna Jr., Cody Bellinger now moving full-time to the outfield, and Trent Grisham. Sorry. Uh, sorry, Brewers fans on, <laughs> on that one, but uh, <laughs> uh, let's uh, Acuna Jr. Yep. I think he joins the long history of center fielders from Atlanta winning yep. gold glove awards. And in right field, this is an interesting one too. You have Mookie Betts, the obvious superstar from the Dodgers, Charlie Blackman of the Rockies, and Jason Hayward, who's won a few of them and now with the Cubs. Uh, Mookie Betts, uh, whether or not it, he's, he's been very, very good, whether or not he's the top one, I think there's a few other star things that went out there. And that'd be his first NL, but that'd be his fifth straight gold glove award night. I think that's kind of a foregone conclusion. He's excellent in right field. Not that Jason Jason Hayward also is excellent. Charlie Blackman's never won one, but but Mookie Betts will win that one, I think. So, yeah, we got them all done. Check, tune in on Tuesday night, see if we got them, any of them right. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, we tried to avoid uh, that's uh, right. uh, that check. Uh, so let's go to, if there isn't any other news and notes that I'm forgetting here. Let's talk uh, the World Series a little let's, bit. Let's, let's, uh, let's wrap up the World Series, the 2020 uh, COVID edition, uh, and... Uh, First, just your overall impressions. What did you think about this year's Fall Classic? I thought that it went as well as you could have hoped for as far as, uh, like, diagnostics. And that's not the word. word. Logistics? Logistics is a better word for it. I thought it went as well as could logistically. You know, they got the bubble thing to figure out. They got fans in there. I was worried it was going to get to 
the one case of COVID that came, which we'll get to in a little bit, but officially nobody missed games because of COVID. It was, they were fine, played baseball games. There was not really any blowouts that I can remember. And some history was made. It was fun. That extra team in the playoffs made for a whole new idea. And this is one I'm going to remember, not only because it was such a weird year, but, you know, the Dodgers for a, Everybody dislikes the Dodgers, whatever. I, I don't care that they supposedly buy a pennant. I think they're an excellent team, and I'm so glad that at least it, we could always say that their dynasty, if you want to say dynasty, they've only won World Series, but it was always going to be, well, they couldn't win a World Series. Well, now I don't have to hear that anymore, so I'm fine with that. Well, and also, like we can say you can try to buy a World Series, but it's easier said than done, evidenced by the fact that this was their third attempt in four seasons uh, and their first one that actually got there, uh, and it still took six games. Uh, within it so uh, I, this was a my my overall impressions was it was fun to watch these two teams go back and forth I didn't hear David as Goliath versus Goliath as much as I thought I would um, I think people didn't give the Rays a real chance at this until game four uh, kind of and a- and that's where it's like okay uh, this is no longer a uh, the Dodgers are the most superior team, and they're just going to roll right, steamroll right through this. Uh, this was an, a legitimate series. That's what we mentioned at the uh, our last podcast, uh, talking about the second half of the World Series and things to expect. Uh, but this was a legitimate series, and ultimately, as a Rays fan, that's all that I ever wanted it to be. Uh, and uh, it was impressive to watch the Dodgers again as an American League East fan. I'm not seeing much National League West. Uh, and so this was finally a chance to take a look at this team and what's been assembled. And this is the most complete roster that has been put together. There are a couple of vulnerabilities when it comes to middle relief, but there is on almost every team. Uh, and so you have uh, Kenley Jensen likes to make things interesting. Uh, they're, I'm sure they're closer shopping. We'll talk about that here. But uh Overall, Clayton Kershaw finally got that off his back in his as much of your backyard as you can be uh, with that. So that was awesome to, to see from that standpoint. Walker Bueller is so good. Yeah, he is. Uh, and yeah, he uh, is. and uh, Urias is as well. Oh he had gosh. an excellent uh, World Series. Remember, this is a team that's going to be uh, rolling back in David Price. Uh, that was part of that uh, Mookie Betts trade. That's right. Uh, and uh, I think that is going to be a big boost looking at next year that we'll we'll talk about later. But overall impressions on this, uh, it was a good series. Uh, oh, yeah. And uh, it was fun, uh, fun to watch uh, all the way through. So Kershaw becomes the all-time leader in postseason strikeouts, just validating how good he really has been. Uh, the first game, or game five, we talked about the first four games. If you didn't catch it, go back and listen to the last one. He gets pulled a little early, and you mentioned Kenley Jansen struggling, so they went to Blake trying to get that save, and the Dodgers won that one 4-2. And then game six comes, so now we got to talk about it. So Andy starts off your buddy, Randy Rosarena, everybody's buddy at this point. He's getting a movie made after him, folks. If you haven't heard, there's a biopic being made about the life of Randy Rosarena because of the last two months, roughly. Not even two months, what am I saying? A month tops? like. And and his journey from uh, from Cuba yeah, to, yes. uh, to make it over. That's obviously the... Uh, the first half of it, but then seeing from where he was, what he how the journey here, and then what he did tearing through baseball. Uh, and I'll, I'll jump ahead just enough to say that that's my nomination for Heater of the Year. Uh, and uh, uh, we'll uh, have like a year end when we get to the the end of the calendar year. Okay. Maybe we'll find some uh, year end awards. Okay. But that already is my Heater of the Year nomination. Uh, uh, Ten home runs in the postseason, just insane. It- it was unbelievable, and 
you know, he stepped up when they needed him. I said, it would have been a foregone conclusion. When the, when the Dodgers end up winning this World Series, I texted you, who's going to win this MVP award? Because they have so many production. They had so many great players in that World Series step up for them. And then when it was, if it would have been Tampa Bay, it would have been a no-brainer. Andy Rosarena was easily their best player. He kept them in this series almost single-handedly at certain times, it seemed like. And even that last game, he gives them an early lead off Tony Gonsolin. And then Blake Snell is just dominant. That is the best I've seen Blake Snell look. Some of the last, actually, World, couple of World games. World Series, yeah. yeah. That World Series was World Series. as good as he's looked in a long time. Vintage Snell. Yeah. Locating all the pitches, and this is what they've done. This is what Kevin Cash has done all year. He doesn't want him to pitch to the third time through the lineup, and there's tons of data that would support Kevin Cash's decision that would say every time you get to the third time through the lineup, the ERA rises significantly, the batting average rises significantly. And it does especially for Snell, too. Sure, especially for him, and he's he hasn't done it. I think he was at 75 pitches this game, and he got pulled after giving up a walk. Was it a walk or a hit? I don't remember, in the sixth inning. So he's went through five, I believe, at that time. For a struggling Nick Anderson. So I want to. You're the Rays fan here, man. What's your impression of it? Yeah. So this is the decision, uh, and uh, one where uh, social media Rays fans, everything bashed Kevin Cash uh, for this decision. Even Blake Snell said, however, that if Anderson gets the outs, no one talks about this because this isn't the first time that Kevin Cash has done this in a do or die situation in this postseason alone. Game seven versus the Houston Astros. Charlie Morton's dealing. Uh, and after five innings, uh, the pitch count is uh, still in good shape, but uh, this is what they have done all year long. They took him out. Uh, I had a, a good friend who's a Houston Astros fan who immediately texted me saying, do you agree with that decision? My answer then was, this is the way they've operated. This is what got them here. I don't. You're not going to change what you do due to the setting. Usually that leads to failure. Mm-hmm. Now, again, I get the under uh, the argument that, this wasn't uh, 2020 Snell that we were seeing in the World Series here. This was 2018 Snell, the one that won the Cy Young. Uh, with I, I get it. Uh, would I have left him in? Sure. Uh, but at the same time, this is the way they've operated all year. I don't fault the decision. What I do fault is who they yeah. brought in. That's what Nick we got to talk Anderson, about here. Here's the thing. Why they did it is because he was on three days rest. They thought with enough rest, he would have been sharper. This was a guy, when they first acquired him, he had a, a bit of a, a report that one inning is all you want from him. You don't want him coming up a second time. He loses his sharpness. Nick Anderson. Nick Anderson. Okay. Uh, and then also... Uh, back-to-backs become a bit more of, of a challenge. They have done beyond that and then some for this entire postseason. The guy was gassed. Mm-hmm. And when he came in, there was no crispness. There's no sharpness to him. Uh, and a couple of it was bad bounces. I mean, this wasn't uh, – he wasn't hit all over hard. There were definitely a couple of hard hits. Uh, but, yeah. It it was a surprising decision to bring it. Nick Anderson set a record in this postseason for most games in a row allowing at least a run. He gave up at least one run in seven straight games, which is the longest. Yes. Like, So if you're going to the guy who's – at that point, it's six straight games, right? He's been struggling in this postseason, and he was unbelievable. We talked about Nick Anderson, how good he was in the regular season, but this is do-or-die time, and this you got been, that stable, right? You could have had him as uh, the reliever of the year sure. uh, in the American League. He was definitely that good. I think he was a nomination, yeah, but – at that time, sorry, I didn't make a job. At that time, you got Peter Fairbanks, I believe, who's ready to go. Like, 
throw it all out there. You The day before, they had not used these guys. They had an off day before that. So you had Peter Fairbanks. You got Diego Castillo. You have Jose Alvarado, whatever. Like Nick Anderson is struggling. You took out Blake Snell with a guy on base, and you brought in Nick Anderson, which it's, it's hard to fault him because process over product, right? Process over product. You, you go to the process that's worked for you all year, but it's such a strange decision to bring in Nick Anderson right there. They're, they're loyal to a fault. Yeah. Uh, and if, if there's one weakness on the race, it's, it's that. Now, usually that gets you a, a close-knit clubhouse and guys that eventually bounce out of it. They kept uh, uh, Austin Meadows and Brandon Lau in the top of the lineup despite, I mean, Brandon Lau was like two for 43 at yeah. one point in the postseason. Uh, and they're just going to keep their guys there, that their utmost confidence in their players, uh, and that's what they did with Anderson. I mean, but with six uh, scored on times in a row, uh, you know, I, I would have put in Fairbanks or Castillo. I'm sure they were hoping to use those guys in a later inning setting, or at the very least, if the choice was Anderson or Snell, give me Snell. Yeah, yeah, it, that's what it comes down to is, Without going into too much depth there, Nick Anderson gives up the lead, and before you know it, it's 3-1 to one at that point. And then the Dodgers' bullpen, they didn't even get really asked to do a whole lot. They just turned to – we talked about how – I talked about how important Julio Urias was going to be for this team. And they just turned to Julio Urias, and he just wiped away the Rays for three – to get all three innings, or maybe it was two innings, but the, it was dominance. The Rays got bullpened. Uh, normally, they're the ones that do that to everyone else. Uh, the, the Dodgers are – what the Rays would be if the Rays had money. Because Andrew the, Friedman. Yeah, Andrew Friedman, the ex, uh, former GM of the Rays. It's the same analytical process, the same focus on player development. Uh, they just have a massive piggy bank to go with it. It's just unfair if you are a small market fan. Uh, you want to see the, the big uh, galumps uh, for the big market teams, those that spend a bunch but are a bunch of idiots that don't know what they're doing with their money, where eventually those deals come back to haunt them. That's just not the case with the Dodgers right now, and they are the best of uh, using the best of every process that's out there. Here's where I'll end on this one. Uh, Ultimately, I don't blame Cash uh, for the decision because where the blame goes to is the offense. If this was not a one-run game, Snell stays out there. Uh, It's because of the situation in the game, because Kevin Cash talked about that with reporters before the game, the scenario he didn't want to see. And that was having to take out a very good starting pitcher to put someone else in, even though he's dealing, because of the close situation of the game, and then having to make that call. Uh, Cash admitted after the game, at least the, uh, the he hated the decision, not because of the decision made, just because the results didn't turn out. Uh, hmm. it, game seven of the again with the Astros, it turned out this one it didn't, and ultimately it's the the lack of offense is what led to the Rays. Uh, uh, losing here uh, than it did more of anything to do with, with Blake Snell and the, the decision to pull him. Well, the, the game's over. The Dodgers the Dodgers won this game, and I, the first question is, what happened to Justin Turner in the ninth inning? Because they are up 3-1, yeah. to one and Justin Turner gets pulled from his third base position. He's played great the entire series. He's a Dodgers legend at this Out point. with an illness. Uh, so then we hear they're they're talking about who's going to be the MVP. Corey Seager wins MVP award. He did it for the LCS. He did it for the World Series. He's just incredibly good at this point. It was the question was going to be was it going to be him, Mookie Betts, Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller, Julio. You could make the case for so many players for them. But Corey Seager very deserving. So then we're taking pictures and Justin Turner walks out on the field. But it's been reported Justin Turner has COVID tested positive for COVID nineteen. And if there is one protocol 
one protocol that you cannot break at this point. It is you've tested positive and now you're with the team because that's what happened with the Marlins. That's what happened with the Cardinals. Now the season's over at this point. I get that. And yeah, Justin Turner, this is probably, you're 35 years old. Maybe the Dodgers bring you back and you have another chance that that absolutely could happen, but I get it. You won the world series. You're celebrating. I would love to celebrate with my team, but this is a problem. Like you cannot be that close to people and MLB, you have to do something about it, right? So there's a couple of scenarios here. Number one, uh, before I give you the answer to that or my thoughts on that, let's play what if. Okay. What if the Rays won game six and you now have both these teams have been in close counter with a positive COVID case? Yeah. How, what happens to game seven? When do we have game say, we seven? We could still be waiting for it, right? So we're for those we're here in Wisconsin, and the Badgers football team had an excellent opening night, and it was, looked amazing. Graham Mertz looked as good as I've ever seen a quarterback in Wisconsin history play. And now we're stuck waiting for at least three weeks, possibly more, because they're just getting more tests all the time, more positive cases. So yeah, if Justin, I I don't know if the Dodgers had. To, to test anything anymore. I'm sure that they're having a party planned or a parade, excuse me, planned. So I don't know when that is. I haven't paid attention to that. But if he tests positive there, the Rays make the comeback, obviously, and somehow win that game. You can't play it the next game, I don't think. We've seen that they would need at least two days off because you have to get everybody tested. And he's been in close quarters, like you said. Anybody who's at stands at third base for Tampa Bay then is probably within six feet of him at one point. So I don't know how we got COVID. I don't really care how we got COVID. All I know is it's really bad optics when he gets found to be positive and he comes back out there. It would have been worse optics if uh, Game 7 gets delayed by days because of uh, the COVID case. But even here, the, the issue becomes, and here's my argument. Uh, once the game starts, you don't reveal a positive test things. If you're waiting for test results, you don't get them until after the end of the game. There's no reason to have this in the middle stuff. Either you know beforehand or you know afterwards. You don't bring in the test results in the middle of the game because what is that going to do? Seriously, what is that going to do? They've already been around him. It's not going to do a, a, other than create chaos. So the process needs to change if we're somehow dealing with this next year. Uh, that you don't announce that stuff in the middle of the game. If there's test results, it comes after the game. You don't do that in the middle because you create the situation. And how is that fair to a player who, again, his shot to uh, enjoy that time of that? I get the the challenge of him potentially being robbed of that experience at the end of the game when you win the World Series. That being said, this is a pandemic. This is an issue that is there. It sucks that the situation is there, but it is what it is. And Manfred should be levying at least a million-dollar fine on the uh, Dodgers for not enforcing COVID policy. Uh, and th- by allowing him back out on the field and just acting as if nothing had happened, uh, everyone sidestepped the question. Uh, Dave Roberts sidestepped it. Andrew Friedman sidestepped it. Rob Manfred sidestepped it. No one answered it. And Manfred kowtows to the big league clubs, uh, the big market clubs. Uh, there are issues with how he handles things with uh, the Yankees. Now with the Dodgers here, he wasn't going to do anything about it, and they just want the positive news of the World Series win. They want to bury the story, and that's all that they've done. Nothing's going to happen from this, uh, but it's uh, a, a major blunder uh, at the end of uh, uh, what has been a very good year as far as COVID management. Yeah, it was 
better managed than I think we, at least initially when it was week two, when we thought the season was going to end, we thought it was done. So for them to reach the end of the world series, there was honestly times where I thought that was impossible. So they got here. It's a sad ending to the year, just the way that it looked. Now cases are rising across the United States. Countries are shutting down again. It's not looking great for spring. Uh, I'd love to say we're going to play 162 games in front of fans. I think I'd probably be lying at that point. I think they'll probably play 162 games next year. I think that's that has to be the silver lining. We can look at a 162 game season. Uh, we've seen because they've gone through. How do we do protocols? How do we actually walk through this? And by and large, with only a few exceptions, they have handled it extremely well. Mm-hmm. But to get fans in the stands, I, maybe 10,000 fans. Yep. Uh, that's, I mean, you're not going to be at full capacity. There's absolutely no way you are at full capacity by next year. So at that point, it's just, we've seen, we heard from Rob Manfred. So let's, let's go on with that. We've heard from Rob Manfred of what this has done to affect major league baseball this off season. He, he had his press conference. I believe it was on the 27th. So Wednesday, maybe. And he came up with some numbers that said the league's 30 teams have amassed an unprecedented little over $8.3 billion of debt this year and lost close to $3 billion in operational losses. So I can buy that they lost $3 billion this year in losses. I Absolutely. You haven't sold a ticket. Many teams didn't sell a single ticket, right? Unless you got to the postseason, you didn't sell a single ticket. And I don't even know who gets the money from the postseason. The Texas? Because technically it's in their stadium, but that's another question. Anyways... Maybe you did lose $3 billion. I have no idea how you've accrued $8.3 billion of debt unless you have some insane interest loans. But, yeah, MLB is going to take a big loss this year. And that's going to be felt in different ways. We'll talk about uh, the impact of that in just a little bit. But wrapping up the, uh, the, the World Series recap here, let's talk briefly because we'll have plenty of offseason to do this. But Dodgers' chance of repeating strong the Dodgers are a very very good team uh, I believe their only major free agent uh, Justin Turner is a free agent I just mentioned that he's 35 I would be very surprised if the Dodgers don't bring him back unless they're he's still good defensively unless and he still hit multiple home runs in the World Series right he carried them at different times so I don't expect him to not be there unless they can really upgrade and there's you know talk the rumors that still Francisco Lindor is going to be available and they absolutely have all of the trade pieces. If they want to make a move for Francisco Lindor, they can do that. Move Corey Seager to third. I wouldn't do it. If they want to do it, they can do that. Otherwise, it is just, like you said, they're adding David Price. I'm assuming they're going to go out and get somebody for their bullpen, one or two plays, one or two pieces probably into that bullpen. You you go into a rotation next year with Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller, David Price, Julio Urias, Tony Gonsolin probably, and that means that you're moving, or actually Dustin May. I don't... See, I can't even figure out what their five are going to be. And that doesn't include Alex Wood. And I said, they have Josiah Gray, who's like one of the best pitching prospects in the game still. So it's every bit as deep as ever. They have to be the favorite. Absolutely the favorite. And, uh, uh, I mean, they have a wealth of, of everything, even at, at key spots. They have a wealth at catcher. Uh, they have a wealth of, of starting pitching. Uh, Jock Peterson's the only one that you could see right, moving on. Uh, but outside of that, I, I – Rolling back with with everyone else uh, makes sense, uh, so they're uh, they'll improve their their bullpen. Uh, they'll add someone here within it, uh, but uh, yeah, chances are strong. If we move to the uh, the other uh, dugout uh, from this fall classic, uh, the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, 
there's already either the Sporting News or Sports Illustrated. One of them has already come out and had the uh, the New York Yankees as the team to beat in the American League in 2021. Uh, so overlooked goes back to being overlooked, but that's the the, the way they operate, anyways. Uh, what does it What is it going to take? And I'll ask a non race fan uh, for a to for the race to repeat. What is it going to take? Well, the American League is much more wide open than nationally. Nationally, the, the the Dodgers are clearly a favorite, and I would say then there's maybe two or three other teams that are good. The American League, the Yankees are very good. The the Rays are very good. Many of those central teams are going to be very good. I think the Indians are going to trade off a lot of their guys, but the Twins are still good. The White Sox will get to their strange decision that they made, but I think they're a great team. And even those West Coast teams, I still have hope that the Angels are good and the Athletics have been good. So it is much more competitive, at least top to bottom, I would say, in the American League. Now, what do the Rays need to do to be there again? Well, first off, they need to figure get, they need to get some more offense. I'm not saying necessarily even go out and sign more players. They need Austin Meadows to be Austin Meadows again. They need Austin Meadows from last year. I, I don't know if Randy Rosarena is the best player in baseball. Maybe he is. I At this point, I'm not going to say anything else. But if he can keep it up, you have Austin Meadows come back. Brandon Lau keeps up what we saw in the regular season as opposed to what we saw in the playoffs. Maybe they do get Wander Franco up to this team, and there's a little more offense, and then then you can be competitive again because we still know Blake. I, maybe Blake Snell gets traded. I wouldn't bet on it. Tyler Glass now, we know what he is. I think they'll probably bring back Charlie Morton. We talked about that before we started here. I think they'll bring back Charlie Morton. And then it's the bullpen. They're, they're going to find a way to retool the bullpen if they get rid of some, if they find some. Some of those guys got hurt early on. Was it Yanni Chirinos didn't even pitch for him this year, did he? So, Correct. So they, they lost uh, – Almost half their bullpen before as the season began. First the starter and and Chirinos, then their number six guy who was going to be getting time in there, Brandon McKay, Brandon McKay uh, goes right. down. Then Chaz Rowe, Andrew Kittredge, Jalen Beeks. Uh, they re- normally they retool year to year uh, with their bullpen and find amazing ways to do this. They retooled on the fly and still produced uh, uh, an elite bullpen. Right. So with all those guys coming back, I I think I said I think it's just getting production from offensive players that. Didn't do it this year. And if they can do that, I'm not saying they're the favorite. I won't say they're the favorite in the American League, but I, they can get back to the World Series. It's going to depend, the especially on Charlie Morton. I think a lot hinges on, and his option was, his $15 million option for next year was declined, uh, but with the goal of bringing him back at a slightly less price. Uh, he anticipated that as well. Uh, his family is in the area. There's a strong ties to the area. Uh, it's it's he's not retiring. Uh, I know people talk about as if he might. It, there's a, a hunger to play. Uh, it's a matter of finding out which teams fit his family perspective, and there's only two. It's either the Rays or if he goes anywhere else, the Atlanta Braves make a lot of sense. So I, I think Charlie pitches in, uh, in 2021, uh, and it's either going to be for the Tampa Bay Rays or the Atlanta Braves. We'll see and uh, that wraps up uh, World Series from uh, 2020. And uh, we're going to look at uh, some moves in, in 2021 as the offseason uh, never sleeps. Uh, we have manager movement already this week. A couple of key guys, a couple old guys, uh, finding a new uh, life in uh, baseball in 2021. We have a few more searches taking place. New Mets ownership that has those in Queens uh, wondering if finally their team might get, get back to what it once was. Uh, the COVID crunch that we started to mention from the losses, what, uh, what is going to be the impact for this upcoming season? Uh, 
will the Indians be going through a fire sale? Uh, as well as who are some of the uh, added players in the free agent market from options being declined, as well as who has accepted qual- or who has been given qualifying offers that might take some guys off the free agent market. We'll take a look at that in just a moment. Cut my ink. Your eggs are cut, sir. Cut my milk. I can't, sir. It's liquid. Imbecile. Please, then cut it. You, bring me the Wall Street Journal. You too. You are a madman. I want to party with you, cowboy. Now, you kids with your loud music and your Dan Fogelberg, your Zima, Hula Hoops, and Pac-Man video games, don't you see people today have attention spans that can only be measured in nanoseconds? <laughs> be honest with you, I love his music. I do. I'm a Michael Fulton fan. Yes! That's awesome! Before we dive into uh, manager movement, uh, one announcement that has uh, just come across uh, ESPN, uh, one that was anticipated, uh, is that Mike Stanton is not going to opt out uh, of his deal. He is going to stay with the $218 million he still has coming uh, on his. So uh, I don't know if that was much of a decision or not, uh, but uh, Mike Stanton is going to be uh, staying with the, uh, the New York Yankees at uh, the previous uh, contracted price. Uh, The biggest news that has shocked Major League Baseball this week uh, is the return of Tony La Russa. Uh, The White Sox made the peculiar move of getting rid of Raneke. Uh, Right now, who am I? Rick Renteria. Uh, Rick Renteria, thank you. Mm -hmm. I got my R's. Renteria Renteria was with the Red Sox. You're close. Uh, But uh, getting rid of Rick Renteria with a young team that was on the brink of... uh, uh, Postseason, uh, had they got there, success, right? Yeah, had, like, a, a successful year. Yeah. Uh, I don't see how you could call it anything, uh, anything else. No. Uh, so they decided to make a managerial change of a very, very, very young team, and they bring in a guy who is older than Jack McKean, uh, who went to the the Miami Marlins a number of years ago in a similar role. But older than than that, what do you think of Tony Larusa, the one of the biggest names that you'll find for major league managers in the last uh, thirty five years, uh, going to this young White Sox team? So Tony Larusa is it, okay, we we mentioned Tony Larusa was the name that immediately got thrown out when Rick Renteria left, and it was kind of laughable. We talked about this a little bit before. So he's a legendary manager. You're talking. Three World Series. He's literally in the Hall of Fame as a manager already. He's been in there for years. He's got four manager of the years. He was with the White Sox in the 70s with Jerry Reinsdorf, 1979 to 86. The same owners. That has not changed. And then he left them, and he went to the Athletics and the Cardinals, and he had success there. And the White Sox, he didn't have a ton of success. He was like a 500-ish manager there. So you're at this point. Now, the White Sox, Fun young team, dynamic in many ways. Eloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, Yohan Moncada, Tim Anderson. These guys are young. They are very, very talented. It is such a weird hire. And not, not that I said, Tony Larusa, you're not going to find anybody more qualified. At this point, there is probably not a more qualified option out there. He has been out of baseball at this point for nine seasons. Nine seasons. Now, the last time he coached or managed, he won a World Series. But to bring back Tony Larusa to a team that is this close and plays 
a very different style of baseball. Now, for everything I've ever said, I love baseball, mainly because it basically hasn't changed in 140 years. Little little tweaks here and there, but it's still 90 feet to first. It's still 60 feet, six inches to the mound. And Tony LaRusse's managing style when we last saw him is not conducive to the way the White Sox play. No one more qualified, but no one that could be a, a, a more worse fit. Yeah, uh, it, there's no, there's nothing about this move that makes sense, which is why it's a classic Jerry Reinsdorf move. Uh, he has done this uh, in multiple sports uh, with things, and now again, here's someone who has been successful overall, but stubborn to a fault uh, in how he has managed his uh, his teams. But Tony Larusa, uh, you're not going to find someone who's a worse fit from old school uh, to new school from w- what we're looking at here. You're going to find cultural barriers here. You have a, a different group of players that play with a little more pizzazz, a little more flair than this old school manager prefers. He's already been on record with some of this stuff. He's already been on record with uh, Fernando Tatis and some of the things over with with the Padres. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do to your roster if you come in that hard? This is a chance to blow up and blow up fast. It's been, I mean, it's been reported that the second he was hired, there was only minutes, hours later, there's been reports. Jeff Passan is a very respected man. I believed everything that Jeff Passan says. So when he says that there's already employees concerned about his ability to connect with younger players, yeah, there should be. I'm concerned about his ability to connect with younger players too. And it is a young, young team, a very talented young team. The White Sox should be competitive for the next decade. Should they not blow this up and do something stupid? So when you hire Tony LaRusso here, you have got to believe that he's coming in and you're winning a World Series in five years because he's going to figure this out. Because otherwise, it's the wrong. I, I didn't see numbers, but it is the wrong hire. Rick Renteria connected with these young guys, had them playing very well this season, very well. And from everything we ever heard, beloved. He's, he did it with the Cubs and they hired Joe Madden, and that was the right fit. Like, sorry, Rick Renteria, Joe Madden was the right fit for the Cubs at the time. Just like Joe Madden being fired from the Cubs was probably the right fit at the time. Now, if they told me that the the White Sox brought in Joe Madden, I'd have said, you know what, sucks Rick Trentria, sucks. Like you did, the, you did all the hard work again, but Joe Madden's a good fit for this team. Tony Lewis is not. It's simple as that. Tony Lewis is not a good fit for this team. They, I don't know who would have been, but it's not him. I'd have to look at a list. The only thing I could see is is hiring a disciplinarian to help a young team do the little things uh, to fully get uh, over a 162 game season. Uh, to be able to make those, because sophomore slumps are a reality, uh, if this allows that to try to keep inching in, in that direction, if he can rein himself in enough, because that's going to be the hard part, there's a thin line there. And if he can tap dance this well enough, uh, maybe he could be a fit here, but he's going to have to make some concessions of his own to fit this team. If they try to make it where this team has to fully fit him, this will be a, a disaster very, very quickly. It's going to be one of the most interesting storylines of, of the next year, and I give it three. I don't see him being a manager for at his age uh, for more than, than three years at this point. So you're talking of, uh, and, and maybe next week we'll bring them as one of the teams who could be spending some money uh, to, uh, uh, this team needs to, uh, needs to win a World Series in the next three years. Uh, to fit this manager. Now, their talent means that they probably have a longer window than that, but I think that's what you're looking at here. But again, something we'll uh, monitor as we get into 2021. I would have thought that that would be the most 
interesting signing of the week, and maybe it probably is, but there is still another unique managerial signing this week, and that is up in Detroit. A.J. Hinch gets hired to be their new manager, and A.J. Hinch, not not nearly as qualified as far as winning World Series as Tony La Russa. He's been to World Series, right? He won one. He does have a World Series in there, but he comes with a different amount of baggage because A.J. Hinch is now done serving his one-year suspension for the trash can fiasco. Uh, I think a lot of people thought he would be the favorite in Boston, or at least someone that Boston would be interested in, whether it was him or Alex Cora, who also has to deal with his baggage from the same situation. So the Tigers brought him in, said, you know, he's learned his lesson and we're here to compete. Now the Tigers, unlike the White Sox, who would actually, AJ Hinch would have made more sense for the White Sox because this is a team that's competing now. The Tigers are rebuilding as far as we, they're not ready to compete unless you would think they are. (laughs) This is, uh, Number one, I think if we look at the where we assign blame for the, the trash can fiasco in Houston, uh, most of that is player-led. Uh, and I think the biggest indictment on Hinch is uh, ignorance of what's going on in his own clubhouse. I don't, he, as everything, all the reports that have been there, nothing has said that he has played an active role. Uh, it's just that the fact that he didn't know what was going on or policing what was going on in his own clubhouse enough to do anything about this. Uh, that gives you, I guess, a little bit more of a uh, forgiveness as far as uh, second chances and things going on. He's getting one with uh, Detroit. Uh, it is a interesting fit, but one that makes sense when you understand Houston at the beginning. This was a young team that came together, uh, and uh, you need a manager that can handle young players and help them develop and succeed at the major league level. Hinch has already done that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are some players, especially from a pitching standpoint, uh, that you have Detroit coming up with. You have Casey Mize. You have Matt Manning. Uh, you have the first overall pick uh, who should be going through the majors or minors pretty quickly in Torkelson. Uh, there is some talent here, uh, and they actually – were one of the more surprising teams overall of showing uh, younger talent developing at the major league level. Uh, so I, I, I kind of like this fit. It's, it's, it's not, it's certainly better than Tony Russo. Absolutely. I'll say that it's a much better fit than that. So like you said, Hinch got into Houston. He had a couple of years where he was right around 500, a little over it, I think. And then they won the world series with over a hundred wins. And then they had over a hundred wins two other years and they got back to the pennant where they lost. But Hinch makes sense, and at this point, he's he served his time, right? He he took the one year suspension. I hope that you know it's a new new situation for him. I don't need to hear about the trash can bang anymore. I don't like you said. I don't think he had anything to do with it necessarily. It just seemed like a lot of the time he was just kind of like hands two hands off almost, and let his guys do what they needed to do to win. And even if that meant cheating, so AJ Hinch is done. He's in Detroit. It's it's not a bad fit. It's it's better than Larusa. It's not the one I would have done, but. To, to even to say anything is a better fit than Larusa is to say anything is better than a root canal. I mean, yes, let's say yeah. that's the level of what that what that means in Major League Baseball this this next year. So there's one more job that's still available, and that is up in Boston. And today, John Heyman released their big five names. So Sam Fold is used to play center field for your Tampa Bay Rays yeah. and the Oakland Athletics, if I'm not mistaken, and has his connections then to uh, Kime Bloom. Uh, the uh, EVP of the uh, of the Boston Red Sox See, race I did, connection. Congratulations! I wouldn't have <laughs> no idea what that meant, but okay, good job. Uh, James Rosen, I have no idea who that is. Don Kelly, no idea who that is. Carlos Mendoza, no idea who that is. You got any of these three? 
I'm drawing blanks on okay. those myself. And then Alex Cora. And that one it seems to be the one that would make the most sense. Alex Cora got hired by the Mets. Was it Mets, I believe? Uh, hired Alex Cora, and then he no, got... Carlos Beltran. That's right, Carlos Beltran. Man, I forget how many guys get suspended because of this. Fired. Yeah, this... this uh, permeated throughout uh, Major League <laughs> Baseball. Three managers getting uh, getting canned. So was Cora hired by the Red Sox? Yeah, yeah it was, right? And that's where Renicky got it. Yep. So Alex Cora's already been hired by the Red Sox, and he had to serve his suspension, and now he's one of the five names that it says are the finalists. It would seem to make the most sense that Alex Cora is hired again. Uh, this is a team that's – I don't know where the Red Sox stand. We've talked about that. Are they rebuilding? Are they retooling? Was it just a really bad year? It's uh, it's a bit of both. I, I think there's still going to be another year here uh, before they uh, compete for the playoffs. At least the pitching uh, is uh, atrocious. They they don't have a, anything in that rotation, and you can't just magically make one appear. Just ask the New York Yankees, uh, and that's despite spending three hundred twenty five million on on a guy uh, that. Their pitching staff was still struggling. They should get one. Or Chris Sale should be back. Like that should be back. Yes. That's one starter. Ed, we don't know what Eduardo Rodriguez last time we knew had heart inflammation from COVID. So who knows about that? But yeah, the, their pitching staff is not ready to compete yet against the Yankees or the Rays, and possibly not even the. I think we said before the year started, the Blue Jays could beat this team, and the Blue Jays ended up being much better than that team. The, I wouldn't have said Alex Cora coming back, except for the fact that you still made him a finalist. If if you were not, if you had no intention of bringing him back then you wouldn't have even made him a finalist here. You're still dancing around with it. You're still winking uh, at the uh, the girl in the corner. Uh, and ultimately, you already believed he was the right hire a year ago. You still have him a finalist here. Uh, so unless someone blows you away unexpectedly from the rest of the candidates, it has to be Cora. Uh, I would say differently if he wasn't a finalist. But if you're going to have him as a finalist, then why not hire him? Like It makes no sense otherwise. Yeah. Either be done with him or hire him. But I think they're still just trying to... Is this all just PR? Is Take this just trying to uh, trying to see to how much they can get the media to be uh, more forgiving of bringing him back? It this is a uh, I'll say this I do believe this is a John Henry move if he comes back. Oh yeah, absolutely. John Henry loves the big names, right? And Alex Cora is a, as far as those five names are. Alex Cora is a big name. He's had success before, so yeah, I can see John Henry signing Alex Cora and bringing him back and. You know, they could be competitive next year. They're, the Red Sox always have a lot of good players. And from a front office standpoint, we're looking at the uh, Los Angeles Angels as the uh, team that is looking for a new GM. I believe, I don't remember. The The Marlins fired Billy Epler, is that correct? And last I knew, his name was being mentioned out in Los Angeles. I've not heard if that's still going somewhere. It's the Los Angeles loves to spend money. They, they're going to find a GM that wants to spend some money. Dave Dombrowski is like that type of a guy. Uh, Art Moreno is not going to be cheap about it. He will spend money to help bring someone in. And then the idea would be they want to compete next year. They're, this is a team that is built to compete now. You're, you're wasting Mike Trout's best years here, people. Let's get going. You've already paid Anthony Rendon. You've already paid Shohei Otani. It's time to, it's time to compete. You, you can't finish dead last. The names that are being reported here is the assistant GM for the Oakland A's, Billy Owens, no uh, the San Diego Padres special assistant, Logan White, and Andrew Diamondback's assistant general managers, plural, uh, Jared Porter and Ariel Saadai, uh, have all interviewed for the for the job. Mm. Uh, this was an update as of uh, three days ago. Nice. Uh, I, I don't know anything so about those So it's going to be someone, guys, someone new uh, emerging, Good. which uh, we Get saw with the... 
uh, with the Padres, that can be a very excellent way to go. Get some new blood in baseball. Quit turning over the old names. Tony Lucia, sorry. <laughs> Let's talk a COVID crunch. We've already mentioned Manfred's uh, comments. $8 billion debt, $3 billion operate, operational losses. Uh, we are seeing the, the financial uh, crunch come in, in different ways already. The Chicago Cubs have laid off over 100 employees. The Oakland A's just, uh, I think, I don't know if they have officially announced it yet, but 150 uh, employees uh, looking to be let go. Uh, layoffs as part of this. Uh, we have the Cleveland Indians, uh, the, probably the biggest surprise, Brad Hand. Uh, is an elite uh, relief pitcher. He was looking at a ten million dollar uh, club option, or a five. I think, well, I guess a one million dollar buyout. Uh, rather than buy him out, they try to put him on waivers. Would any give him away to not pay the one million dollar buyout? And no one picked it up. Now, again, you could say maybe people have different valuations. A $10 million closer or relief pitcher is pricey regardless uh, of it. A lot of teams can afford it. Uh, but this was a surprising one for them. They uh, did not renew the option for uh, Carlos Santana. Uh, it's also Domingo Santana. Uh, and uh, they're looking at shaving anywhere from 50 to $70 million off of their payroll, which also means Francisco Lindor, uh, most likely gets moved uh, this offseason. It's been discussed for a while that this was coming, uh, but with one year left on his deal, uh, this would be the time. Yeah, at the COVID hurt, hit every team hard. It did. The A's, I think, were the one who first got in trouble or got a lot of bad PR for not wanting to pay their minor league players, if I remember correctly, and I, I honestly don't even remember what happened with that. But, yeah, the – the Indians are going to be sellers this offseason. They've already showed it with Brad Hand, and Carlos Santana is a very good first baseman. He had a poor batting average, but he has an incredible on-base percentage because he draws a bajillion walks. I think he actually led baseball in walks this year. And so are they going to be sellers? Absolutely. Is Francisco Lindor going to be moved? I think so. And you're talking about one of the best five shortstops in baseball, and that's maybe the deepest position in baseball right now with Corey Seager and – Francisco Lindor, Trevor Story, Trey Turner, there's some studs. So for him to move, there's only certain teams who are going to be willing to take that on. And there's they're not going to give him away. as We mentioned they're giving away Brad Hand. They're not going to give away Francisco Lindor. But it's going to take at least two to three really good prospects here, I would think. So they traded Corey Kluber last offseason to start this slow fire sale that they're having. And so Francisco Lindor is the biggest name. Uh, a lot of reports are that Toronto is interested early. Now, that makes a lot of sense if you're willing to move Bo Bichette to that different position. Uh, you can move – I mean, they got players for days. Gavin Biggio, Lourdes Gurriel, they got that young talent. So if you want to give away one of those guys and get Landor back, you're not giving away Bo Bichette. He's too much of a, a big time – the potential for Bo Bichette's too high. But Toronto's a young team, and Francisco Landor is 27 maybe, even that old. He's still really, really young and proven. So – for him to move is going to be a big deal, but I expect him to move, yeah. Yeah, we'll uh, uh, monitor that as it goes on, but when we, we get into the, the trading season as we get closer to the general manager meetings, uh, we'll definitely break down where uh, the likeliest scenarios of where we see him. 27 in two weeks. I was close. Yeah, he, and that's always that peak baseball season to boot. Uh, so who takes him on as a uh, uh, one-year deal? Uh, do they take him on in order to re-sign 
uh, like a Mookie Betts style or a Paul Goldschmidt. Those are the two biggest names uh, before who have made their way to the the trade market. Uh, Mookie Betts gives probably the best uh, return uh, to go off of. Uh, Alex Verdugo uh, was uh, part of that trade. So I think there's normally it's hard to trade a guy with only one year left. It's hard to get true value for him. So what type of prospects are you giving up? Uh, what type of deal is there to be made? Uh, that'll be something we'll monitor as we get further into the, the off season, but more immediately uh, is the free agent impact. Jeff Passan has already said based upon the options declined uh, this year, those who have been added to the free agent pool uh, expect this to be a very slow-moving offseason for uh, those looking for bags of cash in the free agent market. If you're an owner right now and you see the COVID numbers rising, you can't. Ex- we already said you cannot expect butts to be in seats in 2021. I, I don't know how you possibly could. Maybe you get, like you said, limited seating, but at that point, you're not making and taking in what you need to to pay the salaries for all these players. If they're going to play 162 games, it's no longer prorated. You had to pay that full amount. So in order for someone to go out and say, let's say Trevor Bauer, we know he's the big name. He got a qualifying offer today. We'll get to that in a little bit, but let's say he goes out and now he's suddenly, I know it's hard to believe, but after coming off this Cy Young winning season, I expect that to happen. He's willing to take a multi-year deal. He said, unbelievably, I know. So when he says that he wants 35 million, $40 million per year, he ain't going to get it, I don't think. I don't think he's getting that Garrett Cole money. You will need one of the few teams that will be looking to spend money to say, hey, that's the guy we want. Uh, otherwise, you just won't have the market. Uh, if this was a non-COVID year, yeah, uh, he, he'll get that money. But in this context, he has to hope that someone wants a starting pitcher uh, who has the the budget to actually say, okay, we might take a loss this year with COVID, but we're banking on everything coming back, and so we're going to sink in money. Uh, there's only a, a short uh, list of teams. There's already just a short list of teams that can even afford $35 million to begin with per season for a pitcher like this. So you need the right teams to be interested or this deal doesn't happen. Uh, there's... It's going to be an interesting offseason for for free agents. I think money will eventually be there, but I think it will be a slow moving market until we get closer to, uh, like normally you have the big guys done uh, by the end of December. Yep. Uh, and it's only a couple that the stragglers, a couple of the Scott, Scott Boris, Boris yeah, yeah, Scott Boris clients in, in January, early February at at the latest with that type of thing. I don't think you're seeing any of the big money guys go until January. People want to see what happens. Where are we at with COVID? Uh, by the time we get to the the new year rolling around. I think that's going to play a huge role in this. So I think this will be a very slow process. I think you will see more trades than normal, especially for cost-controlled players. I think there will be a big market for that at the the GM meetings uh, and within a few weeks of that time. But I think the big free agents don't sign uh, unless, uh, unless you're going to the New York Mets. Uh, I don't think anyone signs until the new year. The Mets are an interesting case. The Mets, they their buyout or their purchase was finalized this past week. The MLB owners have to approve it, and they did. So Steve Cohen purchases the Mets. I don't have the numbers in front of me. Billions of dollars. Two point so. five billion dollars. Two point five billion. So there's so a team supposedly this all these teams lost all this money, and I'm sure they lost some. Uh, it's still worth two point five billion dollars. So that tells you what MLB's price valuations can go for, even in a COVID year. Yeah. So. The Mets are one team to watch, though. Uh, Steve Cohen's 
coming in. He's going to want to win. So they're a team to watch. Francisco Lindor would make a lot of sense in New York. He would seem to be a perfect fit there. They have not had a great shortstop, I would say, since Jose Reyes, who sparked interest then. And Francisco Lindor, a very similar player to Jose Reyes, and that fans love the guy. And uh, the Mets, they've not been able to win. They've had a great team, right? We've talked about how good what's going on with the Mets. How don't they win? So you want to try and spark interest to make a big splash move like that? Well, if you want to say uh, uh, step right up and meet the Mets, uh, Francisco Lindor heading that list uh, would uh, send uh, a jolt of life into that franchise, uh, and uh, we'll see what happens there. At least props to him for uh, already telling those that were on the edge of being either furloughed or whose things have happened that money they're retroactively going to receive that. pay. That's awesome. Uh, that's going to, I think, come out to about $7 bucks uh, that he's him. investing in that. So, uh, again, you want to find a way to be the the well-liked new boss and to have people uh, working uh, for you, that's definitely a, a way to go. So thankful that he's stepping up and doing that for those that aren't making the millions uh, of, of bucks where those paychecks matter even more so. Uh, so glad to see an owner stepping up and, and doing that. Uh and we'll talk about free agency again next week when we'll give our all-free uh, agent uh, team. Uh, we'll also talk about the Mets leading the way for who's going to spend money. We'll definitely have them in that list. Uh, who else could be on that short list uh, that you're saying that COVID will not be getting in the way from improving that team? But let's take a look at uh, uh, briefly here options declined uh, for guys that were added to the free agent pool. Uh, we've talked about some of them uh, already. Charlie Morton is technically a free agent, though, again, we don't see uh, him traveling too far. Uh, who else do we got here? Oh, let's keep going with the Rays. They declined Mike Zanino's option, their catcher, and they have multiple catchers in place on that team. He was not particularly great this year, if I'm not mistaken. So He had a good postseason. He, so okay. he's if this is his end, there's uh, talk of – interest to bring back uh we'll see what happens with the catching market uh but he had a good postseason so this is his last time in a raised uniform he ended it well good uh the brewers since we're in milwaukee let's do them ryan braun been the brewers yeah. won an mvp award famous brewer been there for 12 years 15 years i don't know i was in high school so it's been a while and he mentioned maybe retiring. We thought with the dh maybe moving to the national league you get another year they officially declined his option so we don't know if he's going to retire or not. They could bring him back for cheaper. He was not going to get paid. I think it was $18 million this year. He was not going to get that money. So they could bring him back cheaper. Maybe that happens. Maybe he retires. That's that's one to watch. Uh, other sluggers, you mentioned Carlos Santana and Domingo Santana. The Brewers declined the option. We're in Milwaukee here. They're in Wisconsin. Jed Jerko maybe was the one free agent that they signed that actually played well this year for them as far as, like, Sogard and Jerko and Healy and we all those guys. Jed Jerko played well for him, and they declined his four and a half million dollar option, which was kind of surprising. Now it does not mean that he can come back. It does make him a free agent, and so they need a first baseman, corner infield type. So we'll we'll see if that's brought back or not. Uh, John Lester of the Cubs, he had a twenty five million dollar option, which. A $10 million buyout. Yeah, he got $10 million to not get his option picked up. So he's officially a free agent. That is an insane option. So I don't know if they ever thought they'd have to pick that up, but he's a free agent. Someone will still sign him. He's a Good serviceable lefty. Good he actually goes back to the, to the, the Cubs. Cubs for a sure. lower price. And when you already are uh, banked $10 million for next year, uh, it makes it a little bit easier to uh, uh, figure out what you want to do from there. That's right. Uh, 
last real big name slugger that got his option declined was Edwin Encarnacion, uh, White Sox, right? So he was like the veteran of the White Sox, him and Jose Abreu. He did not have a particularly good year playing DH for the White Sox. They declined, I think it was a $5 million option or something like that. And they also declined the option on Gio Gonzalez, their left-handed starter. They're both free agents. Brandon Kinsler, the closer for the Marlins, had his option declined. And bullpen arms, I've said I don't like paying big money to bullpen arms. So I would not be surprised if he doesn't go back to Miami. I think his was like $6 million, and they don't like to pay, pay a lot of money down there. But they did sign their – they exercised their option on Starling Marte. They brought him over at the trade deadline. That was a no-brainer. You are not going to let him go for what they gave up to get him. That one's a no-brainer. You have to bring him in. Uh, other people that had their options picked up, they did not take John Lester, but the Cubs did extend Anthony Rizzo. And that one was kind of hit or miss because – they were worried about the financial uh, uh, losses over there where that became more speculation that would they or wouldn't they. Yeah, he, His was not cheap, and he was not particu- <laughs> particularly very good this year. His was $14.5 million, and so they they picked it up. He'll, he'll be back in Chicago this next year. And Nick Castellanos had his option picked back up with Cincinnati. He was only there one year, and then he had an option already come up, and I believe that was a player option. So he actually chose to stay there. So there's player options and club options and then mutual options, but his was a player option. It was kind of a disappointing-ish year. He still hit the ball really hard based off all the stat cast stuff, but only hit 225. But he picked it up. He'll make $14 million this upcoming season, and um, I'm still buying into him being a very good player there. And the last big name that opted in was up in Boston. J.D. Martinez still had – Two years and $38.75 million remaining. Um, coming off his worst year of maybe the last half decade, it was not surprising. He would get half of that at most if he was a uh, free agent in the the DH market, especially if there's no DH in, in the National League. Uh, so that one makes a, a ton of sense. Uh, I'm calling this uh, question the uh, Old Guys Slugger Club Uh that's been a big part of the options that were declined here. Carlos Santana, Edwin Encarnacion, Ryan Braun. Uh, you can include Mitch Moreland uh, mm-hmm. in that. Uh, of those guys, who do you have the most confidence in offering a contract to banking on a rebound season next year? It's Carlos Santana for me. It will be Carlos Santana for me. I love on-base skills. Yeah, he hits 199 this year. Like I said, he led baseball in walks. He had 47 walks in 60 games. Played all 60 games. He's played at least 150, 140 games for the last 10 seasons. So you trust that he can be out there every day playing first base. He's played first base. He does not DH. He can play first base. Uh, strong, the strong on base skills usually lead to strong run skills, and he's always been a very, very solid home run here. He had eight this year. You prorated out, you're right where he's been for both of his career. Last year, he had 34, 24, 23, 34. You bank on mid 20s home runs, a middle of the order bat, on base skills. Uh, I don't think there's anything different other than some bad luck that draw, drops his batting average from 280 to, two, to 199. I think he's like a 250 ish hitter. With a solid on base skills, you give me Carlos Santana all day. I know what I'm getting there. Again, when you take a look under the hood and, and, and take a look at his numbers, uh, this isn't a guy that strikes out uh, a lot <laughs> either. He was at 15.7% for a K percentage. Uh, it was in 13 or 14% uh, for the last uh, four seasons. Uh, his uh, slugging uh, was uh, uh, it's still solid. Uh, again, 60 games, 8 home runs. 
uh, walking 18% of the time. Uh, really what it comes down to is his BABIP. Uh, it was at 212. It was yeah. 293 the year before. Uh, he's he, a little I, slower, so he's not going to maintain your 320s. You might not even get to 300, but 212? Uh, no. He hits the ball way too hard for that. Give me 280, and he hits at least 250, and you're very happy with what you get out of him. Yeah, this is a – he's going to be in his age 35 season. Uh, so it isn't that he's too old. His uh, – I was trying to look at his exit velocity – uh, is within career norms. He usually is in the 88 to uh, 91 uh, is where he is normally at, and he was at 88 even uh, this past year. So there's no there's no uh, trend that is there to say, okay, he's showing some decline, he's showing uh, some issues here. It really is just COVID, COVID luck. Uh, yeah. that's, that's there that I would have uh, – thoughts that he would be an excellent bounce-back candidate as well. So from that list, that would be mine as well. Uh, let's take a look at qualifying offers uh, that have come out today. Again, technically, free agency has begun uh, today, uh, and you needed to have your qualifying offers in. If you were going to extend an offer to re-keep a guy, uh, you had to extend an offer of a one-year contract of worth $18.9 million. And so that and, means that the, the player can opt to choose that, or he can opt to decline it, and most of these guys will probably decline that, and then their team that they were with, should they sign with someone else, gets a first-round draft pick because they... If the contract goes over $50 million over the the life of the contract. Yeah, longer term. Uh, So that's how they get the the first-round pick, which, again, let's take a look at most of the guys on this list and see if you think they're going to get a contract over $50 million. Uh, DJ LeMayhew. Yes. Yeah. Uh, George Springer. Yes. JT Realmuto. Yes, but not what he wants. And that would be the same thing with Trevor Bauer. Yeah. Yes, he'll get he he'll get well over fifty million. As long as he I said, him and his one year thing, apparently now he's happy to take multi year deals, which is not surprising, but well, and uh do you see those guys being worth eighteen point nine million for one season? Oh, their teams would all those teams would love to have those guys back for eighteen point nine. Even even JT Ramuto is probably the one who's because he just because he plays catcher. Not that he's not worth that, but the Phillies would love to have him back for eighteen point nine million. He'll decline that. I would expect him to get like he wants a probably three years. He should get four years, eighty million roughly is what he should get. He's not going to get his two hundred million. But the rest of those guys, you'd be a, an absolute steal to get those guys for that. There's two other names that uh, were extended qualifying offers that are more on the. Uh, Questionable side, uh, Marcus Stroman, uh, who opted out this year with COVID. Uh, that one's not super surprising. He is talented. Uh, to me, he's be- his best fit uh, is with a uh, a team that is as a ground ball specialist. You want good infield defense. That's not the New York Mets. Uh, but again, they they traded for him. They invested in him. They want to try to keep him. Uh, I think at that price point, I I see him accepting that offer. Stroman's interesting. Like you said, he didn't pitch this year at all. He chose to opt out, and great, go for it. And like you said, he's a ground ball specialist. He throws a big-time sinker. He's done it his whole career. He is now – how old is he? He is 29 years old, so he'll be 30 years old next year, so still fairly young. You can pitch five, six years of very good ball at 30 years old. $20 million per year, I that would be awful hard for him to get on the open market. So if you're telling me he one year 18.9, I could see him accepting that. And going back to the Mets, and like you just mentioned, their their defense, maybe not their calling card up there, but uh, ask Jacob DeGrom about how they're often sometimes their calling cards. So 
it's that's an interesting one. I I think he'll probably accept that offer. I don't think he's going to get an average annual value of over that. Uh, so a one-year deal uh, and to make bank, well, uh, a prove-it deal where you can get your multi-year uh, offer after that, whether from the Mets or from someone else, is an interesting uh, idea. The one for sure that I would be running to the bank now, would get my lawyer out of bed, uh, sign the contract now, is Kevin Gaussman. Uh, who had a wonderful resurgent year with the San Francisco Giants. Uh, His exit velocity ticked back up. He's someone who uh, pitched very solidly in the American League East with the Baltimore Orioles for a number of years, uh, but not someone that I would think of investing $19 million in. So he's another one, roughly the same age as as Stroman, 29, going to be 30 about the time that the season season starts next year. And like you said, this is probably his best year he's ever had. And he went out to the large park that is San Francisco, which obviously helps, but most strikeouts per nine innings he's ever had. Uh, got the walk rate back down to low, and he finally started to throw. His thing has always been that he's so afraid to throw his, is it his slider? No. It's the like the sinking fastball thing that he throws, and he just stops throwing it. So Gaussman was the fourth pick overall many years ago. He's got pedigree, but... He's never put it together. He's coming off his best year ever. It, I think this shows the Giants are afraid of the upcoming free agent market. What is it going to be? We are not going to be able to get anybody, and they don't have a whole lot of stuff coming up. The Giants are one of the teams that's clearly rebuilding, and they're not nearly as far along as a team like, say, Detroit. So if you're right, absolutely. Kevin Gaussman should sprint and get that. Design his one-year $18.9 million qualifying offer because he's not going to get more than that, I wouldn't think, on the open market. He's not as good as Marcus Stroman. He's nowhere near as good as Trevor Bauer. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I'd sign that one if I was him. What this also indicates to me from these two uh, players, and, again, Stroman's a good pitcher. Gaussman's a good pitcher. I see him as an excellent journeyman uh, pitcher. Uh, but just not at $19 million a season uh, type pitcher. But what this tells me is the free agent market for starting pitching is going to be very, very, very thin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have teams that would rather overpay to keep one of the better ones that's available uh, and also one that they know because they've already had them for a year, uh, someone that they know versus rolling the dice in the free agent market. Uh, so we'll talk about that next week, especially. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Was there the, anybody you thought that was going to get a qualifying offer that didn't get one? The one I would say is, so teams can offer more than one qualifying offer. You can do that. The Phillies have JT Ramuto, and they sent their one to him. I thought they might send one to Didi. Didi Gregorius is a free agent this yeah. offseason. Had a really good year at shortstop Excellent for them. bounce back year from yeah. injury. Yeah. I thought Didi would get one and did not because I think he can get I think he, I said shortstop's deep, though. That's the problem is that shortstop is so deep. It's probably the best, deepest position in baseball right now. But otherwise, I think he could get $20 million a year on the open market. Well, and he, even coming off of injury, got a decent deal mm-hmm. uh, for that. So, yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think that's the, the biggest name that would have, uh, if someone would have told me Didi uh, got the qualifying offer, that would have made more sense to me than uh, Stroman or, or Gaussman, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah, Michael Brantley, I started to people complaining. But yeah, Philadelphia Phillies gave him $14 million this year for, for uh, Didi. And some people mentioned Brantley. Brantley's age is what makes it really tough. I think Brantley's 36 or something like that by now. And, and injury risk, yeah. uh, durability He's issues. an ex- excellent uh, player, awesome player, really good. DH. Yeah, I think you he'll be back with see, Houston, actually. You don't see teams investing big bucks, for the most part, in the, in the DH. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so that's what harms him. He's not able to play. Uh, he has no def- uh, defensive fl- uh, p- position flexibility. 
Uh, and with the injury concerns, that one does make sense. Uh, it depends what Houston does. Uh, again, Houston is one of the most interesting teams of the offseason. You have Aren't they always, uh, though maybe maybe not as interesting with the way they their final season surgeons. Uh, there maybe they're not as done or close to being done as people want to put them uh, one foot in the grave already. Maybe that's not the case yet. Uh, so that'll be something we'll talk about this offseason too. Uh, but uh, offseason's just kicking off. We'll be here with you uh, throughout it to uh, break down the uh, rumors and, and moves as we uh, uh, heat up that hot stove. That's right. Next week, you'll see. You'll hear us give us our all free agent teams. We're going to do it separately, so we're not going to know, kind of like going back a ways. We're not going to know what each person's doing, so we'll see if we got differences and choices here. We'll talk about, again, who's going to spend among teams that we at least can expect at this point within the COVID crunch. And finally, for those uh, uh, Wisconsin aficionados, those Brewers fans, uh, as we break down their offseason uh, building blocks that need to remain, uh, who's... Uh, uh, what are the types of players or positions or all the above that they need to be looking for uh, this offseason to uh, make their way back to the postseason in 2021. So we will look forward to talking baseball with you next week. Until then. Take care.